Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,429. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope all of you today are with family and friends and enjoying a wonderful meal and some good company. And by the way, happy birthday, Blake. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today in Miami, ah, so nice, with a very special guest by the name of Carlos Segura. Carlos, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm absolutely ready. Yes, very much so. Thank you. We're going to have some fun. Now, you listeners, uh, Carlos and I hit it off in a little pre-show chat today. Turns out we both love Porsches, and of course, we both love cars, and... I'm going to introduce you properly in a moment, Carlos, but I want to ask this question first. Kind of rounds out who you are a little bit. What's one little thing that most people don't know about you? Oh, my God. You're throwing me off all the way <laughs> at the beginning. That's, well, that's the whole idea. <laughs> well, I think that some people may not know that I, I don't like flying. Is there a reason? Does just have to do with claustrophobia or the idea of where you are, that we're flying at 500 miles an hour in this little tube through the air? Anything could happen? I'll tell you very quickly. It's a very long story, but I'll make it very short. When, when we fled from Cuba to, at that time, Mexico, we took a flight on a Cuban propeller airplane, mm-hmm. and all four propellers died on the way what? to Mexico. And then they, they, two of them started back up before we landed. But that was a, a moment that uh, oh. stuck with me for my whole life. Well, and you were nine years old at the time, right? Yeah, I was nine. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. I, I can't. Oh. I, yes, we have to have you come back and just tell that story. <laughs> I know, but I still have the airplane tickets framed. I'll bet. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, and that certainly make a huge impression. Not only leaving your homeland, but coming to a new country, not knowing what the future is. I'm sure your parents were nervous as heck about oh just that part of it. But then when the plane is... Oh my gosh, What a, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. Well, you're another success story of immigrants that have ended up here in the USA and done incredible things, and I'm so excited to have you on the show. So let me give you a bit of a more proper introduction here. Carlos Segura is the founder of the Chicago-based design firm Segura Incorporated and the T26 Digital Type Foundry. He came to the United States, as he said, from Cuba in a not-so-great airplane at the young age of nine. Carlos worked for the big ad agencies, including monsters known as BBDO, Marsteller, Footcone and Belding, Young and Rubicam, Ketchum, and DDB Needham. Oh my gosh, I'm a little jealous here given my background as a graphic designer. You were doing the real stuff. His work (laughs) has earned him numerous awards from organizations around the world. Carlos ventured into new territory when he launched cartype.com, a creative archive of automotive industry. His new book is titled The ABCs of the Automotive Industry. We'll talk about that book today and others. And it introduces readers, young and old, to some of history's most iconic and sometimes forgotten automobiles from the Azura We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so please give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up. 
way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Cars yeah is proud to support our veterans, which is why I've teamed up with our nonprofit partner, Tech Force Foundation, through its Veterans at Work Military Transition Campaign. The tech shortage is very real, and our country needs skilled, qualified techs to keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. When so many vets build their skills in maintaining and servicing vehicles when deployed, TechForce helps transition those skills to jobs as professional technicians when they come home. Learn more about TechForce Foundation and its Veterans at Work Military Transition Fund at techforce.org today. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Carlos, we are back. So I would love to maybe go back in time a little bit of your decision to get into graphic design. My listeners, longtime listeners know that was my career for first 11 years, and I did a lot of marketing and graphics later, uh, the many decades I spent at Griot's Garage. But you made this amazing career, and you were doing just super high-end quality work. And I've known of who you are for a long time, and I'm so excited to, to have learned about these books that you've done. So if you could give us a little bit of a background and maybe tie some of it into why cars are one of the things that you're a fan of. When I was growing up, I got into a band when I was 12 years old, and I became their drummer. And that was going to be my life as far as I was concerned. Wow. But unknowingly... While I was in the band, I had three jobs. I was a drummer, the truck driver, and the guy doing the little flyers where we were performing. As I got older, I eventually left the band and I got a job because of those flyers in the creative industry, an industry I didn't even know existed. And I certainly didn't know there was a difference between design and advertising, but I got into advertising by accident and learned a lot. And in 1990, started my own design firm in Chicago. Uh, Segura Inc. In 94, we launched T26, which was one of the one, one of or the first type foundry to sell fonts on the web. That was the birth of the web, yep. the inter internet. And then in 2014, I launched cardtype.com. And since then, I've 
been completely dedicated and consumed by creating an archive of the automotive industry that I can share with the world as best I can. That's been my consumption since then. You know, this is so fascinating and exciting for me because working in graphic design back when you launched that, I remember that. And this Mm -hmm. whole internet thing was so new and big. And of course, I remember we were the first design firm in San Diego to work on Macintosh SEs. You remember those? They thought we died and gone to heaven. Now you look back and go, oh my gosh, yeah, that was a horse and buggy. Let's talk a little bit about why cars. What what do cars hold for you as a fascination and a passion? You know, I I have literally felt like this since I was a, a little baby. I mean, a little kid. My first car was a 1960 Chevy Impala, and I got it again when I got into the band when I was 12 years old. I didn't even have a license, but I've always felt, even when I didn't recognize this feeling, that cars and the associated industries are quite possibly the best thing that's ever happened to man. Not only for the obvious reasons, traveling, being exposed to other things, blah, 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 but the level of creativity it takes to support this industry is the very thing that I'm trying to archive. It's unspoken and unknown and not, and most people don't even consider it, what it takes to put a car together. Just for the sake of discussion, take the car out of the picture and think about everything else that needs to happen. Forget about the car, the typography, the emblems, the design, the fabrics, the colors, the paint, the materials. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And it's just fascinating to me. That's why I'm embarking on this. Being a designer, did you ever have inspirations to be a car designer? Well, yes, of course, but I don't believe I'm good enough. I think that that degree of talent is few and far between. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I've had many car designers on the show and those like you and me that used to sit and maybe not pay attention in school and draw pictures of cars in our notebook, (laughs) guilty, um, along with surfing drawings I used to do as well. Uh, yeah, that's that's an entirely different level and it's become a lot more complex as cars have become more and more complicated as well and, and so forth. This book that you did, the book, one of the books we're going to talk about today is, again, the ABCs of the automotive industry. And when I first saw this book, my first thought was this would be a great book for my grandson because, and I hadn't received a copy yet. And I was fortunate to be sent a copy and I started looking through it and I went, Okay, this is a little different because he's picked automobiles that aren't your basic automobiles. And the first one with my fans knowing, or my listeners, my fans, I hope you're my fans, (laughs) my listeners, my, I'll try to be more humble. The word, the letter P, I thought, okay, there's got to be Porsche in here. And I'm like, no, Uh, No. Piaggio, wait, Vespas. Oh, okay. This guy's doing something a little different. Can you talk about why you chose the vehicles you chose? I can, Mark. And and I think one of the things that I wanted to do is first, obviously, have it to be a teaching moment, not just for kids, but for for adults, too, because there's some brands in there that I would argue some have never heard of. Right. But the reason I chose the marks that I chose is because I wanted to pick car brands that actually use those letters in their logo. So there is no P for Porsche. Right, right. There's a crest. And that's it. So I picked Piaggio because they actually use a P. Well, I think it's really brilliant. And it's very simple. It's very clean. I mean, it's probably being a graphic designer is why I appeal to it. Maybe you could tell us about a couple cars you chose. And if you learn some things about those cars by choosing them. Because again, you've you've got some really interesting things. Like uh, F is for Farman. And I even went Farman. Wait, Farman? What? 
how come I don't know about a farm? <laughs> you got me. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. One that I'll talk to you about that I find extremely unique is Moore's. Okay. Which was uh, a French car, which was electric all the way back from 1895. And most people have never heard of it. Well, you tell people that some of the very first cars were electric cars, even Porsche. Yep. And they go, what? No. Yeah. Yeah. Do your homework. Yeah. Pretty amazing. One of the books that I made is called, simply called 1900. And it's a collection of brands and logos and ads and support materials for automobiles from the 1900s, most of which were either electric or steam. In fact, the other thing that I'm doing is a book about the Chicago Motor Row, which was on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. And every manufacturer that made a car at that time had a dealership there. And most of them were electric or steam. Well, you're teaching us all an awful lot about history, but you're doing it in a really wonderful, beautiful, graphically designed way. And uh, I guess that's why I wanted to get you on the show so bad. In our pre-show talk, you were talking about a new project I wanted you to share a little bit about because you got me excited with this. Well, what I've been doing is, as I mentioned earlier, I launched Car Type back in 2014. It is currently down because we were we are redoing a, a, a new we're doing a new website and relaunching it, but also we're trying to dedicate our relaunch to having um, proper permissions and you know because I mean one of my struggles is the legal aspect of all of this. It's really quite an uphill battle, and for the most part, most people cooperate, most companies cooperate, and they're very helpful. But there's an occasional one here and there that's a little bit more of a, of a task to get approvals for. And I do this all by myself. I'm a one-man show. So it's very, very time-consuming. The other thing that I'm doing is, as I said, relaunching the website. And I'm creating a series of books that try to archive all this stuff for the sake of uh, prominency. Wonderful. That's just so cool. I love yeah. it. You're having some fun for sure. I really am. Definitely. <laughs> no kidding. I mentioned in your intro, you worked for some of the biggest design firms in the country, and especially back during that era and being in Chicago, I like to ask my guests about what I call her a driving inspiration. Somebody who's been hugely influential in your life, could be a mentor, could be somebody you worked for, could have been a client. I'm sure you had many of these, but is there one maybe that we could maybe chat about today? Well, yes. I mean, I I think the key the key thing for me when I was growing up in the ad agency business is that I learned the power and the, the need to be accurate and uh, apply your creative to the audience and the strategy and not to the likes and dislikes of the client. Mm, okay. Yeah. And so while it is obviously respectful and important that the client is involved, the truth of the matter is that they're the least relevant to the picture. Yeah. Because we're not advertising for them. We're trying to solve a problem and we're trying to address the target and be respectful to the audience. So I think that's one of the things that I learned the most. And I've applied that to the rest of my career, which I think answers your question a little bit more accurately by telling you that my inspirations were the aesthetics of the Japanese market and the craftsmanship of the uh, British typographical scene. So I married those two together, and that's what I've done for my career is, is try to combine those two things. 
Very well done. I understand. Yeah, I love it. In fact, uh, my long-term listeners know I was actually made in Japan. My parents were living there at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, and they brought back a lot of Japanese. My father was an architect and an artist. He was a painter, and he did sculptures and worked in ceramics. And so I was influenced a lot growing up by his aesthetic. He took us to museums all the time. But they brought back a lot of Japanese things, artwork and some furniture and stuff when they came back to the States. And I grew up with that in the house and I always would look at it going, what is this? Why do we have this here? And then as I got older later, oh, okay, I see it. But yeah, but tying it into the British typographical scene is a fascinating combination. So now you're, okay, I'm starting to unravel the onion on you a little bit here. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about a challenge uh, that you face. And the reason I bring up challenges is that they're great learning opportunities. They may not be much fun when you're going through them. But is there one in particular when it comes to your career that really stands out for you that you look back and say, man, that hurt, but I'm glad it happened? Yes, of course. When I Even when I started out, I have always been of the mind that uh, I guess I approach my career like one does in an airplane with the, uh, the little uh, airbag that comes from the ceiling. And they always tell you, put, put it on yourself first, so then you're in a place where you can help others. And my approach has always been that. I always try to make myself happy first, so I can then make others happy. Because I can't be displeased or unhappy or, or uh, in a bad situation and then be asked to help someone else. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm very, very selective about the people I work with, what projects I work for, and what kind of situations I enter in. Because I don't want negativity in my life, and I don't need any more problems. <laughs> so, so I'm very selective, and sometimes I've, I've turned down work that, uh, you know, uh, were big financially, but I don't do this for the money. I do it for the enhancement of existing nice so i just feel that that's the best way for me and i understand it's just my personal choice and you know everyone does things differently but i think that's the thing that i've learned and uh, have done for my entire career even when i was a little even when i was in the band when i was very young if i didn't want to do something i just i spoke up so basically just speak up and try and do the best you can for yourself. That's that's my approach. Well, you learned something incredibly valuable pretty young, and I've heard this from many successful people on this show, is the power of saying no. Right. And many people, especially when you're young in your career and you're striving to make a living and you know your, your pennies are, are, are tight and you just go, well, okay, I'll do it anyway. But there's always that voice inside that says, you shouldn't be doing this, mm -hmm. don't do it, stop, but you right. still do it. And that voice is almost always 100% true. And having worked in the graphics field and having dealt with so many different kinds of clients, I'll right. tell you, one of the most liberating days of my life, we had a, back when I was in long ago, graphic design, we had a very challenging client. My The guy who hired me out of college tasked me with this client, and I found out very quickly why. <laughs> because they were just terrible people. Yeah. But I was I was making a nice commission on the deal and I struggled and worked with them for 4 years and it was just it was a horror and I finally went in one day to him and I said I can't do this anymore. And he goes right. he goes I'm surprised you lasted as long as you have. Yeah. And he said, fire him. Yeah. It was like words of like this, you know, ah, the angels opened up the clouds. I said, I can do that. And he goes, hell yeah. He goes, I'm not going to deal with them. Life's too short. Yeah. I, I think that 
at the end of the day, the advice I give to younger uh, students and, and, and people in the industry is just one word, and it's simply consequences. And so the decision on what to do and when to do it is simply the ability to accept the consequences of your choice. And by the way, I'm not even suggesting for a second that you shouldn't sometimes do something you don't want to do because we all have to do it. I mean, I've done it. It's, I'm no different than anybody else. But the difference is that most people don't do it because they're unwilling to accept the consequences of that choice. For example, if I say no to a big paying job, the consequences is simply going to be I'm not going to get that money. Right. Not getting that money means I can't get this, that or the other and will change the course of what I want to do within the next, you know, near future. Mm -hmm. So. Just being able to accept your decisions and living with them in a positive way is, I think, the best, or not the best, but a way to maybe try to embrace this kind of, you know, uh, personal guidance, I guess. Right. It's very different than just saying, ah, that's too hard. I don't want to do it. Right. We're it's not, very different. That's not right. talking about that. Yeah. It's, no, it's we're not. Very, we're not talking about very that. different. Yeah. I, it might, yeah. I'm getting... Bad feelings just remembering that client right now. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh, no, they, we've, all, we've all had them, haven't we? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. D yeah, yeah. Just not good. Not good. I, I want to talk a little bit about a special vehicle story in your life. Is there a car that you've had that really stands out for you? I mean, you know that that's a horrible question, Mark. <laughs> well, you know, I, there, why would I want to make this that easy? I do want you to have fun, though, because I don't want you to say, nah, I'm not interested in this being on your show, Mark. You know, being a designer, us people who are love to be creative and creativity is a big part of our lives you and me uh, cars are a big piece of that because we all have that what i call the look back when you park your car and you walk away if you don't turn around and look back you're probably not very passionate about that ride no. just got you there well so. <laughs> i i have done that with every car i've ever had but currently i have a 2001 bmw m coupe lovingly known as the clown shoe uh, yes and uh the one I have is the S54 clown shoe, meaning it's got the M3 engine in the car, which only happened for the last two years of its life from 99 to 2001. Nice. And this thing is absolutely spectacular. I mean, it's like a little go-kart. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. But that doesn't mean I don't love the other ones that I have of course. Either, you know. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, that car is one of those love it or or hate it. I don't know about yeah. it. Yeah, it it really was a polarizing design, but it I believe it stood the test of time and it's still there and those people like you and and me and other I've never had one. I've I've got I've had M3s, so I've had E36 and still have my E46 M3. In fact, drove it yesterday. I don't drive it that much and every time I drive it I go don't ever get rid of this thing. It's so nice. <laughs> you know, just, mm -hmm. I had two two E46s, a, a coupe and a convertible, and then I had the M coupe, and then I now have an M4. In fact, the, the license plate for my M4 is 4th M because that's the 4th M that I've ever had. <laughs> I love it. Very cool. What color is your uh, M coupe? Uh, silver. Silver. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's mine. Got it. So I'm going to be uh, a bit of a car psychologist. This is another challenging question. I uh, don't make it too easy for you here. I'm going to crawl into your head. If you were reincarnated, that is, you were manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, though. That's way too easy. This is how you perceive the man in the mirror as a vehicle. What would you be? But more importantly, why? Well, the cliche, you know, I, I, I know you've asked other guests this question and the cliche answer is Porsche and that is my answer, but <laughs> I don't want to say it because of the obvious reason. I want to say it because 
the attention to detail of that car is spectacular and the engineering and everything that they do is just really it's just the best car out there right now i believe and i like the uh the attitude and approach of that company and when i say that company i'm really thinking more specific to the 911 and to the 911 gt3 in particular but i have to admit that i do like the new st but i'll never have it because it's ridiculously <laughs> well they, yeah porsche is kind of that way so i yeah. i understand 100 you know, i read a, a story yesterday they said the least appreciating cars on the market today number one was the porsche 911 number two was the porsche 718 the cayman so really? uh, interesting. And interesting. then they, they had the top 10 most depreciating cars. And down the list on that was the Taken, which, of course, yeah, we talked about, yeah. talk about EVs and the challenges they're facing right now. But at any rate, well, that's OK. That's I was uh, I was uh, being interviewed by a past guest on my show, uh, Tommy Kendall, actually. And I believe I answered pretty much the same way you did. And it had to do with the Porsche and the way it's built and the evolution of that model design. The fact that I think aside from. Maybe the Mustang, which I think lost its way many times. The Porsche 911 has evolved to its purest sense all the way back to 64 and when the first 901s came out. So I'm glad you brought up the Mustang because I'm actually doing a post right now about my... There, there are certain things that I think the auto industry does that I think is just so off the mark that I don't understand how people in a meeting, how someone doesn't stand <laughs> up and say... What the hell are we doing? Stop, yeah. And one of the examples is using the Mustang name for an electric SUV is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, yeah, that one that one threw me. Especially using the Mach, the Mach uh, 1 name. I yeah. mean, for God's sake, what the hell? Uh, yeah, well. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't either. Maybe it goes back to that book by Bob Lutz about the bean counters and, and the craziness of the car industry and why they make decisions they make. But yeah, that one. I think it made all of us car people's eyes roll back, but uh, I think it's proving not to be such a great deal after all. So. I just saw a documentary of Faster Horse for a second time, yes, a couple okay. days ago. And the a Faster Horse is a documentary about the release of uh, the previous generation Mustang. And they literally spend 90 minutes talking about the importance of uh, taking care of the equity of the brand, that you can't mess this up and don't blow it, blah, blah, blah. And of course, look what they've done now. They've violated every, everything that they stand for. Yeah, love to be on a fly in the wall to kind of figure that one out. But uh, yeah, me too. It me is too. it is what it is. Well, again, I'll remind you, listeners, and of course, it's holiday season. Uh, the ABCs of the automotive industry by Carlos, our guest today, Segura. Uh, what's the best way for people to get their hands on this book and to learn a lot more about you and other books? Well, the book is currently available via trope.com, which is a publishing company in Chicago. And so that's that's the only way to get it right now. Okay, awesome. Great. And uh, when we finish our talk here, I'll ask you about uh, how people can follow along with you for future books and things like that. But right now we're going to have some more fun and we're going to go on the ultimate drive. I'm a big enabler here. I'm going to park anything you would love to have in your driveway. You can take it for a drive. But here's the kind of cool part. Since cars is really about the people, you can take anybody with you, including somebody from the past who's no longer with us. So what does the ultimate drive look like for a creative person like you? I would love to go with Carol Shelby. Okay. I think his story was very interesting, and I loved his attitude and the simplicity of his approach. I thought he was one of those types of guys that they just don't make anymore, you know, yeah, and, and right. it would be a lot to learn from. 
Yeah. What would you be uh, driving in? Well, it wouldn't be a Mustang, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm actually a fan of the Ferrari GT Lusso, which used to be called the FF, uh, which, again, is a, is a more expensive version of the clown shoe, in my opinion. You're right. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like the grandfather or something. It's very funny you say that because I was at the port or the Ferrari factory when that car was about to be launched and we got a personal tour through the factory. I was with somebody who was buying a uh, uh, older Ferrari F1 car from the factory, one of Michael Schumacher's uh, Ferrari F1 cars. So we spent three days there. It was wonderful being kind of an insider. And they had four of those parked in the factory and there were all these people standing around and I had heard about the car, but they hadn't launched it yet. And I went, is that the new? And he goes, yeah, you want to talk to the engineers? And we went up and one of them at the time made the comment about, which I thought was interesting that somebody there in the factory would actually say that in relation to BMW. I think it's because I said I like BMWs too. He was asked, what cars do you like and so forth. But they said the same thing. That one of the the engineers did say that, and I, I oh wow yeah, it kind of made my eyes go up. Like really? Well, now we weren't allowed to take any pictures in the factory. They're very particular about that. I think even today. But um, yeah, I thought it was very interesting because I didn't like the look of the car when I walked up to it because it just wasn't a Ferrari to me. Well, yeah, it's very very unusual. In fact, you know, I'm wondering if you can confirm this. I heard that that was Ferrari's answer because he they refused at the time to make an SUV and of course now they have but that was their answer to their to the to an SUV. You know have you heard that? I have not heard that but it would make sense to me because again that car was one of those cars where you went, who is your market for this? Yeah. And trying to branch out and, you know, I mean, you look at when Porsche built the SUV, it freaked everybody out. Oh, this is the end of Porsche and it saved them. So, you know, and they sell more Macans and Cayennes now than anything. So you know, for some reason, the FF and now the GT Lusso, it makes complete sense to me, even though I've heard what the comment you just made, which is like, what, why is Ferrari doing something like this? Because I feel like, you know, the folks that can afford the Ferraris, I mean, they have families like everybody else, right? Yeah. And why wouldn't they want a practical car that is amazing, right? Right. Yeah. I have a friend. So who, I don't know. I have a friend who lives in um, Las Vegas uh, and he's a younger guy and he bought one of those and he drives this his everyday car. And I asked yeah. him, I go, well, and his dad has a, a 250 shirt wheelbase. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. they know cars. They've had a lot of cars in their family. And I said, why did you buy this? And he said, well, because a traditional Ferrari sports car is kind of useless as a daily driver. It's just, you know, it, it just it attracts too much attention. It's just too small. You can't put anything in it. You can't go for a drive a day out in the country. Um, this car, you can do all that. Put golf clubs yeah. in it. Yeah. And so I went, oh, usa- usability. There's your answer. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I don't <laughs> I don't get the confusion. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, yeah, put old uh, uh, Shelby in one of those. I'll tell you, I spent a wonderful evening in Henderson with uh, Peter Brock, and the day we're recording this was yesterday was Peter's 87th birthday, so a little bit later birthday to you, Peter. And I asked him, I said, what was it like to work with Carol Shelby? You know, because he was there during the Daytona and worked on some with the GT350 Shelby Mustang and and. We sat out there for hours on his porch looking mm-hmm. at the glittering lights of Las Vegas, telling me stories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was one of a kind. There'll be another, never be another one of him. And uh, yeah, it must have been amazing to be as Peter was back in the day working with You know, I'm, like I'm glad you talked about stories because uh, one of my goals for my car type archive is to 
document these stories. Um, it, it's it's true. I mean, the, the stuff that has happened in our industry, it's almost like obviously the, the heyday of design and so forth was the you know the fifties and the sixties and the seventies with the mus- muscle cars and oh, you know all these older gentlemen, mostly gentlemen. I know there were a few ladies working at the time as well, but. Uh, these stories are just going away as they get older and pass on. And I just love the stories of the, the, the things that they, that they did and they, and how they, they got, Oh, it's just, it's just overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was different times too. I think people could get away with more things than they can now. There wasn't so much exposure that you could get. I I, I use the word caught, but you know, now people can take pictures and record you and you don't know. And then it gets up Mm -hmm. on social media and it destroys everything. It was just a more creative time, a more interesting time. And this new movie that's about to come out about Enzo Ferrari, I think will, I hope it will do what it, I think it will do. Um, you know, uh, Derek Hill, Bill Hill's son, uh, just posted the other day that um, because he was involved in that film a bit, saying he said this is going to be an incredible movie, one of the best car movies well, ever. Mark, talking about incredible movies, I I implore you to listen to the following advice. Yes, I I have a a Instagram feed called the Documentary Den, and the last two that I have posted. The first one was called The Mirage. And I swear, every day I wake up and I think, okay, I know about every car that's ever been made. There isn't, it's impossible for me to be exposed to something I don't know about. And yet every day I <laughs> am exposed. So The Mirage is a story about this guy who made a, the, a car called The Mirage in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You absolutely must have to see it. Okay. And then the second one is called Driving Dreams which is the story of the Italian car design industry in the 70s. Nice. It is breathtaking. Okay. Well, have you, you have to see those. I'll have you uh, email me links to those, and we'll share them with our listeners today so they can go and find all these as well. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, they're right. Well, you've taken us on a wonderful journey today, and I could talk to you forever, not only about design but about cars, and I love what you're doing. Could you leave us with some parting words of inspiration and wisdom? Oh boy, you don't want that from me. <laughs> I I just, you know, do what you want if you can afford to do it. And even if you can't, try and do it because our time here is limited. Absolutely. That's for sure. How can people follow along with you, learn more about car type and all the different things you're doing? Okay, well, my Instagram feed is at car type. Uh, cartype.com will launch in the next few months. And of course, the key uh, way to follow my work is to go to my design firm, which on Instagram is at Segura Inc. And my website is segura-inc.com. There you go. I'll put all those links on Carlos's show notes page on the Cars Yeah website so you can go and find all of these. If you're listening today, running, biking, driving, whatever you're doing, it'll be very, very easy. And I think all of you uh, car fanatics out there will love what he's doing to follow along, get your hands on this book. If anything, it makes an awesome holiday gift. Um, I'm going to buy a few more for my friends. And this first copy is going to my grandson i'm working very hard to make him a car guy he's only two so he's very pliable right so (laughs) (laughs) i'll give you i'll give you one last plug again uh, please follow uh on instagram the documentary den there's some wonderful content on there that's uh just absolutely spectacular and by the way the one that i just posted last night was the story of hypnosis i don't know if you know who they are but 
They were the number one design firm out of London during the 70s that did every famous album cover that you've ever seen, from Pink Floyd to Led Zeppelin. And uh, it tells the story of how they came about. So it's The Documentary Den, D-E-N? Yes, sir. All right. Cool. Cool. Check it out, listeners. You're going to have some fun. And I want to do a shout out. Thank you to uh, Lauren Abal from Trope, uh, publishers of this book, for getting Carlos on the show today. So, Lauren, thank you very much. You brought me a superstar today. Yeah, she's great. (laughs) Carlos, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and sharing what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I'm definitely going to keep up with you. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. And by the way, all of you listeners today on Thanksgiving Day, I hope you're with family and friends uh, enjoying some time together because as Carlos said, this life we have is brief. So spend it with friends, spend it doing what you love uh, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And you too, Carlos. Thank you, Mark. And thank you everybody for listening. I appreciate being part of your day today. Thank you. This was great fun. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.